are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Joining you this week from Chicago, I'm here doing a breakthrough project for a client. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, a global management consulting firm. Let me get to the program in just a second, but first a thank you to Jobbing.com. They are my media partner and sponsor. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation and are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Last week, we were on the air with Mary Shores, who is a successful entrepreneur, author, and revolutionary founder of the groundbreaking Conscious Communication System, which produces positive results through positive action. We talked about the neuroscience behind conscious communication, her perspective on how we can all find our unique talents and put them to work, and how she's found her own purpose in changing the debt collection business she's in from guilt and shame to empowering people to be debt-free. Great, inspiring conversation. With us this week is Jamie Bame Hansen, who is a writer, speaker, investor, and thought leader on women and business. With a degree in the Mathematical Method of Social Sciences from Northwestern, she spent her early career with an, with an economics consulting firm in Washington, D.C. She made a career switch after earning her MBA at Duke University and spent the next 10-plus years as a business executive in the tech industry working for companies like Yahoo, Fox, and Cornerstone On Demand. She is the author of Expanding the Conversation because real leaders leverage gender differences to create a competitive advantage in business. Today, we'll be talking about how men and women's characteristics are perceived in the workplace how the workplace can be improved using a different lens on gender, and how Jamie thinks the gender conversation needs to continue in the future. She joins us today from Los Angeles. Jamie, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I've been really looking forward to this conversation, and I got up in my hotel room this morning thinking about it and just really looking forward to it. So to give us a little context before we get started into the actual conversation about gender, will you first sketch for us your professional background? I mean, I gave a bit info on kind of what you've done, but help us get a picture of how you started to form some of the ideas that you had via your experience. Yeah. So, I mean, as as you mentioned, um, I started my career as an economist and then switched over to the technology sector in business school. Um, And then, you know, through my roles, through my roles at Yahoo and Fox and Cornerstone On Demand, I sort of found that I was pretty good at business development and building relationships and partnerships. And I had sort of great opportunities to work with different people across different countries and see, you know, a a variety of different leadership styles and teams, um, which was all awesome. And, and after a while, I guess, I guess really I decided to take a pause and write the book for the main reason being that, you know, I've worked predominantly in male dominated industries, which I've never had a problem with. Um, but it has definitely given me the opportunity to see general differences between men's and women's leadership styles. And I love that, you know, the, the whole women in business conversation has really heated up in the media, especially in the last few years, because I definitely think it needs more attention. But lately, I do feel like the rhetoric had become very angry and defensive and sort of one-sided. 
Um, and, you know, because of all of that, I, I think it's really some of the things are falling on deaf ears and, you know, very little has changed as a consequence. So I really wanted to write the book to, I mean, literally expand the conversation um, and start just a more honest, open dialogue with a broader audience. Gorgeous. Great way to situate for us, Jamie. So, you know, what's really interesting when you think about this, I mean, you have obviously a, what, what I would call, what we would call in my firm, a listening for gender in the workplace because of your experience. In other words, your ear is attuned to it. You have a distinction for being able to discern something specific about what you're observing, and thus, of course, you have enough material to write a book about it. So let us into your world a little bit, will you, Jamie? Help us understand what have you been observing in the workplace in terms of how men's and women's different characteristics are perceived and valued? Yeah, I love that you said perceived and valued because I I actually, I really do think they're so closely related. Um, and, And perception is tricky, right? Because by the very nature of perception, you're applying your own thoughts and experiences and biases, realistically, to whatever you're seeing or experiencing. So the first thing that I would say with regards to men and women in the workplace is that I've noticed that so often the very same characteristic that exists in, in both and a variety of people can be perceived differently across the genders. So I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. When, when people are talking a lot in meetings, right, if it's a man, he's often viewed as authoritative and knowledgeable. But a woman talking a lot in a meeting is often perceived as rambling or overly verbose. And at the same time, If the person is quiet and reserved, men are deemed thoughtful or humble. Women who don't speak a lot are perceived as shy or worse, unintelligent. Um, And the the examples go on. It almost reads like a funny email, but it's obviously not. So so there are a bunch more of these. But what I started to think about were, okay, it's interesting on the one hand, the different perceptions that we have with the same characteristics. And by the same token, we're almost telling people to be more similar and, and forcing them to, to ignore their differences, which I think is a bad thing, too. Oh, my gosh, there's so much there. And you're reminding me so many, there's so many little ding, ding, dings going on in my head as I listen to you talk. And I'll just briefly yeah. say that I remember, let's see, it'd be like 15, 16 years ago when I left mostly male-predominated work environments and went to work for the first time in a almost exclusively female environment. And I went into it, Jamie, thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be a, you know, a lot of backbiting and you know, et, cetera, et cetera. It was a phenomenal experience. And so even I, as a woman, walk into these environments with these, un, what do we want to say, unbacked-up expectations and bias, which is just crazy. Yeah. No, I think it's very natural on both sides. I mean, honestly, when I started writing the book, I was really worried about being seen as, uh, you know, hear me roar feminist type because I was like, okay, I think that's falling on deaf ears, but it's also like, oh, I don't relate to that. Like, I, I love being girly, but I also can do a lot of other things that are not in the girl spectrum. So I really, you know, sort of battled with that myself as well, my own stereotypes, my own biases. Well, you know, speaking of that, I don't, I, I, it's, it's just interesting, Jamie. I remember when the word feminist had, you know, a lot more claim in conversations than it seems to have today. I, haven't, I, I, I very seldom hear that word very much these days, but I'm just curious, yeah. what do you think it means to be a feminist today? Uh, to me, it's, it's very simple. I think feminism means equal rights and opportunities for women. And I think, the, I think maybe the reason why you're not hearing that word per se is because who doesn't agree with that, right? I mean, pretty much everyone agrees with that concept. But I think taking 
I think the challenge is where people equate the concept of equality with the idea that men and women are or have to be the same. And I think that's part of the problem. Because to me, men and women are absolutely equal. There's no question there. But I don't think for a minute that we're the same. And I think once we start treating or even expecting people to be the same, especially in business, honestly, we're really missing out on a chance to, to use our differences in a positive way. You know, one of the great things I love about hosting the show, Jamie, is I kind of consider it my own, you know, weekly opportunity for professional development to kind of nurture my mind and, and stimulate my thinking, et cetera. And then I just happen to be sharing with whoever's listening on, you know, on the radio. <laughs> That's kind of how I've come yeah. to see the show. And, and I love what you just said there about this notion that maybe we don't hear the word feminist so much anymore it's because everybody expects that the two genders are equal. That's a fascinating idea. I I hope that that's exactly right, and maybe that is where we're headed. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say I'm 52 years old, so I've been in the workplace for over 30 years, and it has changed. It certainly has changed. And I can tell you, even just, you know, the way we're preparing for the workplace is different. I mean, I also teach at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, and we most of us know that 57% of most educational or college um, students are female today. Yeah, yeah. Clearly a big shift, right? So yeah. what, one of the things I think is great about what you're doing in expanding this conversation is the, 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 the earth is literally moving under our feet with regard to how the workplace is changing between the genders and many other ways. And so it's very timely. Um, I guess I'd like to also ask you then along that line, I mean, what kinds of things are you hearing from your readers? What are people saying when they join the conversation to expand it? So, I mean, there's a couple of different things I've been hearing, you know, from, I, I love, honestly, I really love when guys enter the conversation once they feel comfortable, I guess, for lack of a better word, that they can really be honest about it. Because I think it, it can be, it can be tough, you know, and that's where I think some of, some of the rhetoric has become a little bit angry, like you said, and it, there's a difference between feminism and inequality, I guess, in terms of you know, rights, like human rights, healthcare, legal equalities, that kind of a thing, right? Versus business, right? And, and capitalism, I guess, supply and demand, because there not everything is fair, right? And, you know, I mean, anything gender or otherwise, right? Fairness isn't always a concept so big in business, right? I mean, it's, it's survival of the fittest. It is supply and demand. It's competition. It's, it's all of that which is not the same as equal rations or, you know, equality for all or the sameness again. Um, And so I think, you know, business leaders that have sort of jumped into this conversation, it's tricky in business. It's a question of like, you know, do you hold spots for women? What do we do about the pay gap? Um, Do you have to recognizing different gender characteristics? Is it the responsibility of the, the leader or the organization, male or female, to abide by those, not abide, but sort of to work with the different characteristics to help in some ways versus others. You know, where does responsibility lie versus, you know, just kind of because they want to or because it actually makes business sense. Those are the conversations that I think are really part of part of the interesting thing of expanding it. Mm. I really appreciate what you said about what, that you really appreciate and love when men join the conversation. So I, yes. I want to queue up this idea with you and see what, you, what your response is to it. So I... I do a fair amount of, of speaking to women about leadership and about empowerment topics. It's just something that I've kind of gravitated to over the years, and I love doing it. And a few months ago, a couple months ago, I guess I was moderating a panel at a pharmaceutical conference, 
and it was really the whole thing was about empowering female leadership within the field because like what you were saying before, it happens to be a very male-dominated industry. Yeah. What I appreciated about that is that, so it was like 7.30 a.m. when we had breakfast. We kicked off the panel at 8 o'clock on Friday morning or Thursday morning, and there were probably 95 women in the room and exactly three men. And I, I, the first thing I did was I said, good morning, and I, wanted, I want to welcome and thank men for joining the conversation here and supporting whatever woman you're with. And, um, you know, to, I wanted them to be part of the conversation, as you were saying. And I hear this kind of feedback from men oftentimes when they do happen to join a women's-oriented conversation around leadership development, et cetera. They say, and this kind of maybe gets to what you're saying about not being equal, but or not being similar, not being the same, but being different, and that's great. They always say, "Man, women have this thing about being unified, and men would never do something like this. This is just not what men do." And I always walk away from that thinking to myself, "Yeah, I know. Isn't it cool?" What's your? How do you respond to that? What I just told you about. Well, I think. I I mean, I think men never had to, right? right? So, like, it's to be always in the majority, always in, like, the superior position and try to relate to someone that's not. So I think that's hard to begin with. But I think part of it is looking, if you look at it as an us versus them or even, like, those guys being there to support the women, I think, honestly, I think that's where it's sort of, like, it's falling apart because, yeah, maybe they're going to be there because it works with their schedule or, again, they're like you said, they're supporting their friend or their colleague but that's not going to move the needle, right? I mean, in business of all things, like people are motivated by business and profit and the bottom line, right? So I don't think it's going to honestly like do enough to say, okay, we got to fix the gender imbalance or the gender problem to make it more equitable because that's what's fair. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think, I think, I really don't think that's going to work at all. I think it comes down to like, okay, maybe that would be more fair, but more importantly, it's going to be an advantage for your business. It's going to lead to bigger success, bigger innovation, bigger profits, and here's why. And the numbers actually really do support this. So that's why I'm like, I feel like we're having the wrong conversations to some degree. I appreciate so much your perspective. And that, that takes me to just the general notion of, you know, valuing differences in general, meaning, you know, that's the general diversity and inclusion discussion, not just the, not just gender, et cetera. But over yeah. the years, I've, right, I've had some wonderful opportunities to spearhead um, those kind of panels, those kind of conferences. And, I, and, of course, I'm a person who craves just somebody who's different from me in terms of conversation, yeah. which is, right, I love to travel, I love languages, so you're focused on the gender piece of it, but how do you think that connects to the rest of the whole diversity conversation? I think it's a total connection. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I focus on gender more because that's where my research lies and sort of my interest is there, but I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it really comes down to just complementary differences right, and perspectives, and that can be gender, it can be race, it can be age, it can be um, geography, you know, it can, it can be talent. Like, it, it really is across the board. And so... I think it's easy for people then to say, oh, okay, well, there's different perspectives between, you know, a white man living in Minnesota and an Asian man living in Taiwan. Okay, like, yes, that's true, right? But the gender one is like, it's kind of 50-50 for like the broader global world. So it's like, okay, why don't we start there with the gender piece, you know? Well, I, I'm thrilled to be talking about that because I think it, it is hugely important to expand that conversation and, and to advance it. 
And and one of the things you and I talked about when we were on the phone, and I know this is in your book too, is is the B word in the workplace. Of course, I mean bias. Mm-hmm. Will you right. chime in on that? Yeah, um, so I obviously did a ton of research on this. So, um, I mean, most people are aware of sort of conscious biases, um, you know, which we, we kind of all have. We, you know, we live in a very media-centric world. We're blasted from, like, you know, the day we're born with all these different outward sensory things that are teaching us different biases. But you also have a lot of implicit biases or subconscious biases, which are totally normal. They're not malicious at all. But that's also, you know, put forth by different external factories, factors that are completely beyond our control. So it's what we see, it's what we read, it's, it's our own experiences. And again, they're, they're not good or bad, they're just, they just exist. And they really do have an effect on our perception of things. Everything, for, to give you a couple examples in, in the gender space, everything from um, a person's voice, so like a higher register versus a lower register, a lower register, for example, signals to most people a sense of authority in a different way, which makes sense. It's kind of intuitive. You know, most people are like, oh, yeah, that, that works, right? But there have been studies do- done that now show that actually lower register, and they've, they've actually, like, quantified it by the amount of hertz involved, equate to a different pay compensation, which is fascinating then when you get into the world of business. So then it's like, okay, well, if the average woman's voice register is, you know, certain hertz higher than a man's, she's essentially at a disadvantage from the moment she speaks, right? Which cannot be over, which can be overcome. Well, that's the good thing. It's just sort of being aware of these biases. So the, the, the biggest takeaway for me in that research was one, again, that these are not malicious. So most of the time, a person's implicit or subconscious biases actually do not align with their outward thinking, which is good. That's good. And then the other piece of that is that they're 100% malleable. So once you're aware and become and sort of recognize them, you can actively work to change them or combat them, which is really helpful too. Oh my gosh, Jamie, there's so much I want to say about that, but let's cut to our first break. After the break, I'll comment on that. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Jamie Bain Hansen, who is the author of Expanding the Conversation, Because Real Leaders Leverage Gender Differences to Create a Competitive Advantage in Business. She joins us today from Los Angeles. We've been talking a bit about how it is that she's gathered her perspective on gender. After the break, we're going to talk about how maybe changing it can make for a better business world. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jamie Bain Hansen, who is a writer, speaker, investor, and thought leader on women and business. She spent her early career with an economics consulting firm in Washington, D.C., and she made a career switch after earning her MBA at Duke University and spent the next 10-plus years as a business executive in the tech industry working for such companies as Yahoo, Fox, and Cornerstone On Demand. She is the author of Expanding the Conversation, Because Real Leaders Leverage Gender Differences to Create a Competitive Advantage in Business. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Jamie, just before the break, you were talking about the good news being that our biases are something that, one, we can surface to a more conscious level, and two, actually work to change. And I just wanted to quickly comment on that because I, I, it's a lot of the work that we do right now as management consultants working with executives, but I really want to tell our listeners how encouraging that ought to be for them because, you know, we're not stuck with our biases. We're not stuck with these hidden things that may may actually disempower us or the people that we work with. We can actually reveal them, surface them, and, and then apply a different mindset. And I, I hope that's encouraging to, to women and men. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, there's one other example that I was thinking of us, I think, really speaks to that, especially, which is, um, which actually both men and women play into, which is that, so in, especially in American business, Studies have shown that uh, the, the characteristic of stability is very revered in American business, right? And then now think about sort of the perfect illustration of a very successful, high-powered, fierce woman. If, if you think of like a sleek, polished, high-heeled shoe, right? Like a Louboutin or something fantastic. And then you think, okay, that's really great until you realize that's five inches of millimeter thin little weight that this woman has to stand on. So like typically all women know this when you're on heels, you're rocking back and forth. You're, you know, you come up with a a variety of different ways to get comfortable or make it through a long day. And I think subconsciously, both to men and women, we don't realize that that's also sort of projecting, you know, an illustration of instability, this rocking back and forth, this going side to side, this sitting down, whatever the case may be. But once you recognize that, then I think if you can sort of overlay that with a, with a feeling of empathy or even like, wow, that woman is strong for standing in those heels all day or like, wow, I don't know that I could do that. It, it sort of paints it in a different picture. It's no longer a sort of subconscious bias of, Ugh, there's a lot of instability happening here. I don't feel so secure versus, wow, this is a really strong woman that can do all of this and dance backwards in heels, as they like to say, right? <laughs> I got this beautiful picture <laughs> in my mind, by the way, Jamie. Thank you for painting it for me. Um, yeah. Great example. Um, okay, well, along those lines, right, so part of what I think you're getting at is just starting to really look at the, you know, the other gender with a different lens. And so for this next segment, I really wanted to think about what can we do to maybe change our lens and how, we, how might doing so improve the business world? So the next thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, when you think about, you painted a picture for us how, how 
characteristics tend to be viewed among the two genders. Um, yeah. How do you think the workplace could be enhanced and maybe even productive, productivity improved if we could get away from this black and white dichotomy thinking about how we tend to see the other gender? Um, I think we need to stop associating different characteristics with different genders. Um, and sort of if we could strip away those preconceived perceptions and then just take at face value an individual's different strengths and characteristics, I think, I think just by doing that, we start to see people not as men in this camp and women in this camp, but more as unique individuals with a collection of different skills and personality traits, if that makes sense. That's yummy. That's really yummy. Okay, now I think we probably talked about this in our introductory conversation together on on the phone, but I probably told you that one of my long-standing fascinations is the idea of androgyny. And yeah. the reason, right? So the reason I've been so attracted to that is, and maybe it's somewhat related to this conversation, or maybe it's the beginning of this conversation. But I've always had the notion that you know, if if men could you know could adopt some of the considered the more traditional sort of aspects of being, you know, emotionally available, being able to emotionally express themselves, being in touch with their emotions, one, how much freer they would be. And now we know today that when they add emotional intelligence to their management style, we know how much more effective they are. So that's borne out. And then on the other side, when women can own more of what's considered a traditional stance of power often associated with men, you know, look what happens to their careers and their ability to actually yeah. impact things. And so I've had this long fascination with androgyny. How do you connect that with what you've been observing and what you care about regarding to the gender conversation? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think if we look at the different personalities and strengths as different tools rather than, you know, male-specific, female-specific, whatever you have you, then they can be used in different ways. So... You know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes empathy is really needed for a given situation, right? It doesn't have to come from a woman, but, you know, if it typically does, maybe a man can see that and say, wow, I need that. I need to learn how to do that because in X, Y, and Z situations, that really would have come in handy, right? Sometimes you need someone with more aggression. Sometimes you need someone with a more authoritative stance or someone to play the role of, you know, the nice guy moderator. Like, I think they're just different tools. And the more that you can build your personal arsenal, the more you have at your disposal, not just like to use individually, but also use in combination with each other for a given circumstance. Mm. I just want to give a quick example here that comes to mind when it comes to somebody that kind of falls into the camp I just mentioned before. Just, it just occurred to me, but one of our two founding partners um, is a mm-hmm. very, very polished, handsome man, very well-schooled, very articulate, very smart businessman. And uh, he's great. at He understands the whole world of, of economics and business, et cetera. And he is one of the first people to cry in a room when he gets moved. And it is so lovely to behold, Jamie, because it sets him apart. I mean, he looks, he's accessible, he yeah. is real. It's probably so he's powerful, right? It's it incredibly really powerful, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of what we're talking about, and there it is. It's not like this, this could be one day. It does exist today, and when it does exist, I think it really does set these people apart. I do think so, too. I think it, I think it can be trickier going the other way. So I think, like, I think men typically have an easier time the more that they can adopt some stereotypically female traits. Whereas, you know, historically when a woman adopts some more, you know, stereotypically male traits, she is, you know, called names or or whatnot, right? So I think 
that can be a, a little bit more difficult for a woman, but I, it's just something that we need to continue to work at to not see them as gender dominated things, but actually like tools in our arsenal. You know, what's beautiful about that, what you just said there, it's so funny. I can, I guess I, I don't know how people would perceive me, but I guess I would, I, I certainly would think that being a woman in business when I see a woman who is direct and communicates directly and with authority and is articulate, I think she's a rock star. Now, mm-hmm. I've also been, though, in conversations in crowds where sometimes some of the, you're right, the response is, wow, I feel like, you know, this is intimidating or she's, you know, kind of out of line or, boy, she's got a mouth on her or... Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... It, I, this is my own bias responding to, yeah, I like it, that rocks. So I recognize that that's not necessarily registered maybe from all the male vantage point. Yeah, I think it also comes down to like if it feels authentic or not. Like If it feels genuine that you think that that person is owning it and that it's coming from a real place and she is who she is and that's like you buy it. You know what I mean? You're like, yep, I'm getting it. I'm eating up everything she's saying. Super empowering. If it feels more like she's playing a role, then I think it becomes, it, you can see through that a little bit more. And that's where it sort of starts to not feel so okay. I, okay. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things I like to do in this show, Jamie, for my listeners is I really always like to, of course, enlighten them and, and inspire them, but I also want them to walk away with something actionable that they can actually put to work as soon as they get out, get mm-hmm. off the air. And I know you talk in your book about the need for leaders to reframe the conversation about gender and contribution at work. So what do you think maybe are a couple of things we can do to help guide them forward toward that role? So I think this is a really important piece of the equation. And I think a lot of it actually starts with language and words and labels, because I think we've, like in general, we've become very careless in the department, in this department, which is not helping. So I think that many people, myself, I've, I've fallen into this as well, that we're sort of unaware of, you know, how innocent labels can be attributed to characteristics having a direct correlation to the perception of the people they're associated with. And again, that's, you know, it speaks again to perception and reality being so closely intertwined that that's where it becomes dangerous. So I'll give you another example. This is in the book as well, but I, I like this example a lot. So you know, oftentimes we speak, especially about women being very creative, right? And, and that's, that's an advantage. It's a positive compliment. But if you think about it, when we think about creativity, you know, a lot of the visual that comes to mind is just naturally is like Crayola. Right? They, they built an entire brand around it, and, which is amazing, but it's also sort of whimsical and, and lovely and sort of childlike, right? Creative and innovative mean almost the exact same thing, but innovative is a much more professional sounding term that is rarely associated with women. Women are rarely called innovative. They're more often called creative and men are called innovative. It's again, almost, they're almost synonyms. They are synonyms, right? But they, they give off very different impressions. And I think that once we recognize that, like leadership can recognize that and really take care to use their language in a specific way when describing different employees or different personnel within the organization in a positive way. You know, when you were talking about that, there's a word that came to my mind that seems like it's probably a no-no today. And I want to throw it out there, and then I want to see if you have any other terms that you think we should just plain avoid. But the word that comes to mind is cute. Is what? Cute? Cute. C-U-T-E. Cute. Okay. Right. So when I think about, like, 
as a woman, for example, I probably would never want to say that another woman is cute in any way. Right. And I, and I start to, I just, it's just not servicing for me in this conversation. And I, I don't know how often I say cute, but it's occurring to me that that's probably not serving my gender very well. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you saw, you know, the actress Maya Bialik. She's on um, Big Bang Theory. She used to play Blossom back in the day. Um, well, anyways, she's, she's, in addition to being a very famous actress, she's also a neuroscientist, which is amazing. Mm. Um, and she, yeah, she's incredible. And she did this whole sort of um, video blog, I guess, that went viral, where she talked about the word girls and how she thinks that adult women should never be referred to as girls by men or women. And, and she kind of goes off about it. And I think this is really interesting because I often say girls about my female friends or colleagues or even about myself. You know, I'll, I'll refer to myself as a girl. But in her take is that it is sort of putting, it's a girl as a child. She's not a woman. So it's inherently putting her at a lower position which is feeding through, you know, everything that goes forward to that, especially in business, which I thought was a really interesting take on it. It definitely made me, th- me think differently sort of about my, my language use there. Mm. You know, this is not, not quite the same thing, but it conjures for me something along these lines. Um, it, so for me, I love being a woman. I love dressing mm-hmm. well. I love, I love my, you know, very pretty shoes. I love <laughs> yeah. jewelry. I take time with my makeup, um, and I really enjoy being a woman, um, and and I don't mind at all being separated or what do I want to say segregated or not segregated, but um, called out as such. You know, the woman in the room yeah. kind of thing. Um, but you're right. You know, if it, that's different than being a girl, which sounds yeah. more uh, less mature, less like there's less value. I don't want to say less value, but like there's something less evolved or mature there almost. What do you think is... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was how it was coming for me. And I just... It was one of those associative thoughts. And I, I made... The other thing is, though, on the other side of that, though, I hate being called ma'am, but I'll take miss all day long. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. I think that's our own biases about age. And we're like, wait, who's a ma'am? Could you just say miss? <laughs> that's, that's more of an age thing. I totally agree. But I think what you're also getting at, too, is that... You know, there's what you're talking about is femininity, right? And that yeah. it is perfectly okay to be a professional leader in business and keep your femininity, right? And I think that's where, but, but again, like to your point, that, that's something that's a differentiator between, you know, a, a male-dominated industry, right? You have a lot of men in a room. A feminine woman is going to stand out. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's actually a huge advantage, um, and I don't think that has to be separate from a professional leader. I so appreciate you saying that. I certainly say that all the time when I speak to women. Um, and, but for you to say it is another thing. And I, I completely agree. And I want the women listening to the show today to actually get that message from you. Please, you know, don't, don't, don't be afraid to be feminine, you know, especially yeah. in a business role or in a business role. Please. I mean, don't think you have to just put on a suit and deepen your voice and, even <laughs> even though you helped us understand how people respond to that, I would hate right. for Right, well, women... and I think that's a good point. Like, it is important to understand what, how people respond and what works, but that doesn't mean that, like, that's right and that that can't be changed. 
I was, um, I had this interview with this, I was speaking with this woman who runs sort of like a PR communications, a global PR communications company. And she helps different uh, leaders of different org- global organizations sort of work on their image, I guess. I guess that's how she would probably describe it. And one of the things she was saying, she's an older woman, and one of her pieces of advice to the younger women in the room were, if you want it, regardless of industry, whether you're a journalist, reporter, in tech, whatever the case may be, if you wanted to be taken seriously, she said, your hair could not be longer than shoulder length. And all these women in the room start just like writing furiously. And I'm sitting there thinking, is she kidding? Like. <laughs> Like, what does this mean? I have to cut my hair. I have to wear a ponytail. What is going on? And I just, I absolutely refused to believe that what, how I wore my hair on my head was more important than what was happening inside my head. And so I was like, okay, even if I understand that, you know, her, her date, it's, it's backed up by data and research. She's, she's done this, right? She actually has the data to support this in terms of how you're perceived. To me, that was something like, that's got to be changed. Like maybe that, maybe that did work. Maybe that was sort of the way to get ahead was to be seen as, you know, more masculine or less threatening or less feminine, if you will. But that's not something that's going to work going forward. And I think that that's where we have to become our own advocate to change there. Oh, I am so with you, Jamie. And on that, let's take our next break. Perfect timing for that. We'll leave that as a resounding something for folks to think about on the break. I'm your host, Lisa okay. Cortez. We're on the air with Jamie Bame Hansen, who is the author of Expanding the Conversation, Because Real Leaders Leverage Gender Differences to Create a Competitive Advantage in Business. She joins us today from Los Angeles. After the break, we're going to talk more about how the gender conversation can relate to really helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com.
us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Jamie Bame Hansen, who is a writer, speaker, investor, and thought leader on women and business. She spent her early career with an economics consulting firm in Washington, D.C., and then made a career switch after earning her MBA at Duke University, spending the next 10-plus years as a business executive in the tech industry working for such companies as Yahoo, Fox, and Cornerstone On Demand. She is the author of Expanding the Conversation, Because Real Leaders Leverage Gender Differences to Create a Competitive Advantage in Business. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So just before the break, Jamie, we were finishing our conversation about how the world of business can be better when we start to change the lens. And so before we go to this next segment here, will you say a little bit about how do you think organizations win when they start to change their lens on gender? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think most of it comes down to perspective. So, you know, anytime that you have a group of people looking at a challenge or a problem, regardless of you know, the size of the problem or even the industry it's in. If the, same, if, the, if the people looking at the problem are all similar in the way that they think or approach it or talk about it, it's basically like one person talking to themselves, right? If you have different people with different perspectives and different approaches to the problem and different ways to communicate about the problem, then, it, you know, it becomes a much more, well, it becomes a much more interesting conversation, but more importantly, you all of a sudden have more alternatives to find a solution. You're basically casting a wider net. Mm. So you and I were talking over the break how this is such a fun conversation for both of us that we kind of chime into the others and start to add on each other's sentences. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, this is such a stimulating conversation to have, an important one to have. And so now when we think about taking this next part of the conversation to thinking about gender conversations in relation to helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work, what's your perspective on are happier employers more productive, employees more productive? I mean, I think, yeah, I think, I think there's no question that a happier employee is more productive. Um, I mean, they, they also, like more happy and more productive people see a different range of opportunity because, you know, when you're happy, you're less weighed down by negative thoughts and the more invested you are in your work. And that doesn't just bring about greater efficiency or productivity. It also leads to clearer thinking and giving others the benefit of the doubt and better ideas and ultimately faster progress because of that. Mm. You're reminding me, one of the, the things that we do in, in our firm when, when we're working with clients here around breakthrough thinking and trans, transformation organizations is just really suspending for a moment what we think or sure that we know about something or someone, Right, mm-hmm. and really trying to listen with fresh ears what that person is saying to us. And it takes a, a tremendous amount of effort to do that and presence of mind, et cetera, et cetera. But the payoffs invariably are so much better for relationships and results. They just, it just takes something to do that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I also think where that, where that like exact idea comes into play, especially today, is with the millennial generation, which, I mean, obviously that's a conversation for a different day, but so much has been said and written about the millennials. But, um, you know, 
I personally think, I think that they are such a unique generation with so many great characteristics that can really, really transform the way that work is, you know, across the board. But I think that their needs and their desires are also very different. I mean, again, totally generalizing here, but, you know, one of the biggest things that's often said about that generation is that they really want to have a voice. They want to be heard. They want to be listened to, right? And the question is, can leadership, you know, take a beat to sort of, like you said, like clear their biases, clear their like preconceptions of how they view different people and different ideas and listen to try to get new ways of thinking. And I think, you know, that's going to come down to retaining these employees, but also really seeing them thrive in these different companies and industries. Yeah. Okay. So you and I are on the same page on, on millennials. Part of the reason that yeah. I insist on continuing to teach at SMU is because I want to stay connected to the incoming generation of the workforce. And really, if you look at the numbers, it won't be long before that generation comprises the majority of the workforce. So we better understand them because they're going Absolutely. to be across pretty soon. Um, so I'm completely with you on that. Have so. you seen any differences that were sort of unexpected to you or surprising? Not um, unexpected, but I'll tell you, I just left, and this is, I think, somewhat indicative. Again, not, I can't, we can't generalize, as you said before, but I just left a coaching conversation with a, a woman who's 28, and she is just dynamic, Jamie. She's, um, she's a mechanical engineer, and so she thinks, and she's got a, she loves structure, and she loves data analysis, and she likes working and making arguments from data, she's, but she's at the same time you know, extremely connected to the, the emotional realm of her world and also understand strategy and things like that. And the other thing about her that I think is very much rooted in her, her uh, generation is that she's, she has a, the multitasking need for stimulation, need for challenges, like off the chart for her. And I do yeah. think that there is something that comes from her generation. Maybe it's because she was schooled on, you know, iPhones. I don't know. Grew up with an iPhone in her, in her, in her crib. I don't know. But, I think there's something about that intensity and ability to think on those different dimensions at the seemingly the same time, yet also demand and want, you know, some work-life balance as well at the same time. Yeah. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there's a lot of criticism that says, you know, the millennial generation is too idealistic. They're not realistic. And, you know, my comeback to that is always just like, why do they have to be mutually exclusive? Like, why can't, you know, leaders actually want to be realistic in terms of what's required and doing, you know, multiple things at one, at one time so that they recognize that, you know, everything that they work in is multifaceted, but also want to have an impact, have a great personal life, like enjoy their time on earth, you know, all across the board while really liking their work. And I think once we find that combination, that's, that's really where it just, everything sort of goes into a new level. Mm, I completely agree. And now along those lines and coming kind of back to where we, we, we rooted this conversation, you know, there's an argument to be made that while the gender imbalance is obviously a challenge for women in the workplace, for the most part, men seem to think it's pretty okay. So where do you think that plays into this conversation of possible de- disrupting things and kind of getting us back in terms of progress and productivity? Yeah, so I've had it's I've, I've had this conversation a couple of times actually with different people, including my husband a long time ago. Um, and I think I think it, the main question here is, you know, even if women make up fifty percent of the population, business in America seems to be thriving. Why should we change something if it's not broken, right? Um, 
for me, I guess the answer is, is, well, for starters, I do think it's broken, but I think it has nothing to do with equality. Like, again, I'm, I'm all for equality in other places, but I don't necessarily think that's a requirement in business. I think rather we're missing like a, a tremendous opportunity here by excluding women in the professional arena. And I, I don't think that that's just, you know, in one specific area. I do think it's across the board. And I think that there's real innovation to happen with more diverse thinking. And, and that's where I think, I think we need to catch up and make sure that we stay ahead of the game, I guess. Mm. And again, to your point, all the more reason we need to keep expanding the conversation. No, no. Yes, question. exactly. Please weigh in, listeners. Yes. Um, now, another question that comes to my mind. Do you think that, that the gender conversation is more important for some industries versus others? Uh, that's a good question. So, um, I mean, I think it's important for every industry. I really do. But I guess personally, I get really excited when I think about an industry that is predominantly female or predominantly male, either way, and just start thinking about how different it could look if it had a mixed perspective. So, you know, even like finance, healthcare, even education, you know, I think each of those brings a host of really tough and really important challenges that we we're not even, we haven't even come close to solving yet. And I think, you know, adding the different perspectives, especially of the mixed genders, could really, you know, provide a serious change that would be tremendous. Just absolutely amazing across the board. I, I just, I just, what I see in all of this conversation is possibility. I see a yeah. possibility for, for women to, to come more into their own, express more of themselves, and, and have maybe more of an impact if that's what they want. And, and I see men being able to learn from women and being able to not have to feel like they have to stuff their emotions if, you know, in order to, to be respected, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I see so much win on all angles here that I don't know why we're not having more conversations about this. Yeah, I agree. And I think, again, I think it comes down to like, you know, women, I think are talking about it because they recognize that there's something to be gained for them. And I think a lot of men are not talking about it because they think the women are just sort of being whiny or complaining or angry or whatnot. And I think that's where, you know, the conversation, I, I would love to see the conversation switch to, you know, a more black and white conversation in terms of less about what's fair and equal and let's make sure everybody's happy and more about look at, look at what could happen. Look at the productivity that could change. Look at the innovation. Look at the progress that could actually really happen if we started getting different perspectives, different points of view, and using different tools to actually, you know, attack these real problems. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. Two more quick questions for you. We started talking about this when we talked about the millennial generation, Jamie, but do you think gender dynamics differ between the generations? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. Um, obviously, that's, you know, it's through nobody's fault. It's obviously, I think we've sort of evolved in a good way <laughs> um, through the generations, which is great. I definitely have a different perspective on this than like my grandfather's degree. Um, but I think, again, I, I have so much hope with the millennial generation. Do you think what's also interesting is there's been a lot of research done, not just in the characteristics of how millennials work and think and communicate and what they want, but also in how they learn. So, you know, and I, I actually talk about this a little bit in my book that I, I think they have so much potential. And I think 
the only thing that's really standing in the way of these millennials becoming these incredible leaders are, you know, the ideas, having the ideas, and then really the leaders in front of them taking the time to, to teach them and support them. And if you look at, if you dig more into that, you know, people respond to different types of leadership. We all do, right? Not, not everyone is going to respond to the same type of leader, and that's totally natural. But by and large, a lot of the millennials seem to respond to a more um, transformational type of leadership, which is great, which is amazing. And I think, you know, coincidentally, women have a lot of characteristics that make them fantastic transformational leaders, where they're connecting sort of goals and purpose with recognition and support, and they really thrive in that environment. And so I think it's even more critical than ever that we get the right leadership models and a variety of different leadership models working with the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. Again, there's, we could have a whole other show about that. So, <laughs> um, all right, well, we're coming to a close here. In about a minute, Jamie, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? I guess um, the, the main thing that I would say is that I would encourage people, men and women, to stop trying to dismiss or hide the gender differences, um, especially the gender-dominated strengths at work. So, and again, this goes for both men and women, because I, again, I do think we're equal, but I don't think that we're at all the same. And for current and future leaders, I think those differences should be celebrated and leveraged, because... Complementary styles are always more advantageous than the same thing repeated over and over again. So I guess my, my biggest piece of advice would, to everybody would be just to use your authenticity and originality to your advantage. And I think that most people will see success follow. It's funny that you said that when you were talking, the word that kept screaming out at me was authenticity. So amazing yeah. way to finish the show, Jamie. Thank you so very much for joining us. I'm thrilled that you crossed paths with me. And thank you for sharing your your passion. Yeah, fantastic. So, listener, if you you want to learn more about Jamie and the work she does, visit her website. It's, as you might guess, expandtheconvo.com. Once again, it's expandtheconvo, C-O-N-V-O.com. Join us next week when we talk with Brett Randall, who is the owner of Solman's Barbecue. We'll talk about his entry and preparation into the restaurant business how he and his team have created a purposeful culture, and how he exercises a particular stance on leadership in business. See you next week. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week... Find your life's purpose at work. Mm